the biggest challenge that I had in becoming sexual with you again were the triggers. There were many, many times that as we were engaging in a sexual experience, I would be triggered by visions of the women that you had taken to bed, and I would be tormented by comparison, wondering if you had done with them what we were doing, but being afraid of the answer, should I ask? Sometimes I would just start sobbing. Has your marriage been shattered by sexual betrayal? Are you wondering if it's possible to save your marriage, or even if you want to? Your story matters, and there is hope for your marriage through Christ Jesus. Welcome to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. I'm Johnny. I'm Emily. And friends, we've been where you are. Our marriage vows were shattered by adultery fueled by pornography. But through a commitment to recovery, our faith in God, and our hope for redemption, we set out on a journey of healing. Now our marriage is better than we ever could have imagined, and we give God all the glory. On our show, we'll talk through difficult topics, infidelity, porn addiction, recovery, and more. So if you're ready to move from pain-filled todays into hope-filled tomorrows, grab your favorite beverage and spend a little time with us. Marriage is redeemed. Hearts renewed. On Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Today we're going to talk about a challenging topic, especially for the betrayed, if and when to become sexually intimate again after sexual betrayal. But before we get to that, we do have a review to share with you that really touched our hearts. This review comes from B. Miller 328. She titled it, Praise God. She says, I'm currently going through a very tough time with my husband due to his infidelity. We just got married in March of this year, and I'm also pregnant. I found your podcast, and it's helped me so much with preparing myself to talk to him again. We're currently separated. I don't want a divorce, although at first I did. But God told me to be patient and led me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Praise God that you two have found the courage to put your story out there. I pray that one day God will use what we are currently going through to be a testimony for other people to find strength. Thank you both so much. Thank you, B. Miller 328. That story really touched us because even though you're going through such an incredibly tough time, you did turn your thoughts to God and what he wanted and what is possible through him. And we're so grateful that you did that. And we're also very happy to hear that your goal and your hope is to one day pay it forward and share your story with others so that they can find hope, which is exactly what Johnny and I are doing on this podcast. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So if you have listened to our podcast, you may have wrestled with this question. Can there be a meaningful sexual relationship after experiencing sexual betrayal? Well, the short answer is yes. But today... We're not going to dive into the world of makeup sex or guilt sex. Instead, we'll be delving into the realm of intimacy. Intimacy is often misunderstood as just being synonymous with love and sex. While sex is a part of it, there's a deeper layer involved. It's about gradually building a connection with your spouse, one that's rooted in honesty, vulnerability, and transparency. Mm-hmm. So join us as we explore the intricacies of maintaining a strong bond through intimacy. But before we get into this topic, Emily, would you please pray? Yes, I think we're really going to need some prayer for this one. Absolutely. So thank, thank you, you Jesus, for being with us here today. We just praise your name for all your goodness. This life, Lord, is full of disappointment. It's full of pain and betrayal. And yet it's also full of joy and full of victory. And that's only because of you and your son. 
So we ask that you just walk through this with us today, touch hearts of those who hear it, that you can comfort them in their pain, that you can encourage them on their journey, and that you can reveal some truths that may enlighten their path forward and they can experience the kind of connection that you have always intended for their marriage. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Emily, here we are. We have been working on building this episode for quite some time. We knew at some point we were going to need to tackle this particular topic. Yes. And when I think about it, one of the first thoughts that comes to mind is the broad spectrum of reaction to bringing this topic up of being sexual again after sexual betrayal. And I feel that it ranges from, oh, hell no, to, yes, I, I would like to be sexual again, but how is it even possible after something like this? Mm -hmm. Hopefully today we can unwrap a little bit of that and get us in a trajectory that's moving forward. Yes, I agree. It's something that is very challenging to even think about whenever you have gone through something like this. There's so many emotions wrapped up in it, and they change constantly. Right. The only constant is inconsistency. Yes, but we really think it's an important thing to share, especially through our journey, because we know that concepts on paper can be difficult to grasp. But sometimes when you hear other people's stories, it can really resonate with what you're going through and you can find a way to insert yourself into that experience and right. say, oh, maybe that could be us or we're not going to do it that way because obviously that didn't work or <laughs> yes. anyway, that's why we're here. We're going to share our story of this particular part of our journey today. And there's absolutely no one right way to go through this, but we're going to share some helpful things today that were so integral to how you and I got to where we are today. And uh, we are sexual again. Yes. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Emily, we have our own story of becoming sexual again. It wasn't an easy journey and it wasn't even a linear journey. It was one step forward, three steps back, two steps forward, 15 steps back. Right. I mean, it could have some extremes to it or uh, tremendous moves forward. Yeah, it definitely was something that from day to day, we just didn't know what to expect. There were often some hard feelings, but then there was also some glorious miracles of God that we experienced. He showed us things that were so new. You know, we talk about how when our lives were shattered by the reality of porn-fueled infidelity yes. that you brought into our marriage, it was like so much devastation. But then as we walked this journey out and we started to heal and we embarked again on the sexual relationship that we had once had, but only better, he showed us some new things that we had never experienced before. That's correct. After 30 something years of marriage, we just like, whoa, we were, our minds were blown that we could experience some things that we had never experienced before. We're still experiencing some of those things as we continue to engage in that part of our relationship. Yeah, it's got its ups and downs for sure. Right. But ultimately, I think we're both so glad that we did reconnect in that way. Yes. And in a healthy way this time. God says in the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to the Apostle John through the Revelation, and he says to him, Behold, I make all things new. Now, in that context, it's the renewal of the world after things come undone and Jesus returns. But I want to visit that just for a moment 
in the sense that Jesus does a work of making things new, not necessarily just restoration. We talk a lot in our world today, in our society, there's a lot of talk about restoring and restoration, but really very little talk about making things new as an attribute and a function of the redemptive work of Christ. And I say that in this context today because I fully believe that the sexual life you and I have now is a new one, yes, not a restored one. Right. What we have today did not exist before. Correct. This isn't a shined up, polished, rearranged, taken apart, cleaned up, and put back together version. We were doing that on our own, but God had different plans in mind. He meant to make it new. Yes. That's why I say that in this time now, we can look back, just as you were describing before, we have things present in our current sexual life that never existed for the first 31, 32 years of our marriage. Yeah, it's really incredible. And we're excited to share that so that others can experience the miracles of God in that arena. Yes. The only way that Emily and I know to become sexual again after sexual betrayal is through intimacy. Yes. So we're going to start unfolding what intimacy looks like. And we're talking true intimacy, not the kind of intimacy that the world says that it is. So oftentimes, intimacy is easily shifted over to a definition of love and sex. But we're going to go a little deeper into that today. Yeah. In fact, when I was looking up intimacy podcasts a few weeks ago, the only thing I really found was podcast about sex. I was just like, really? I, I was kind of surprised that that word seemed to be the word for sex in our world. And I was like, oh, well, you know, that's part of it. But there's a whole other layer like you mentioned before. That's right. What is the definition of intimacy, Johnny? So Emily, just as you mentioned that as we look to the world to try to define intimacy, we're finding that it doesn't say what it is that you and I are trying to communicate and what really the truth of intimacy is. You know, when I start to build definitions, I always go to the dictionary. Well, this time the definition of intimacy through the dictionary was a whole lot like a flat soda. You ask yourself, why did I even bother? It just had nothing to it. But on further research, looking through and finding some other things, this is what uh, I was able to come up with. Uh, the definition for uh, intimacy is fully knowing your spouse's likes, dislikes, weaknesses, and strengths, and being intentional and considering these as you relate. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Let me say that one more time. The definition of intimacy is fully knowing your spouse's likes, dislikes, weaknesses, and strengths, and being intentional in considering these as you relate. Well, I like to simplify certain things, and I have learned to simplify it by saying it this way. It's knowing and being fully known and being intentional with this knowledge. I like it. But how do you do that? I mean, intentional with the knowledge of knowing somebody. Okay, I know you, you know me, now what? Right. And I think a part of that's going to start with just sharing a little bit of our story about how we became sexual again. Okay, sure. So why don't you start us off on that journey? Okay. Well, um... what did it look like right after disclosure? I know that we've shared this previous times that we've been with our listeners 
but shortly after disclosure, what did that look like? Well, let me just reiterate that there were basically two disclosures, two weeks apart. And the first one was just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, it was adultery, but you hadn't included anything of a sexual nature in your confession. In fact, you insisted that there was no intercourse, which was technically true on that particular instance that you brought up. Correct. Unbeknownst to me at that time, you had already been having a two-year relationship with this woman that was sexually intimate. That's correct. I gave you the polished up version. Yes, it was very painful and shocking, but I was able to gather myself and, and forgive you and offer you grace. And we did have some sexual encounters during that two-week period before the next shoe dropped. I had a lot of questions in that period of time, and I was starting to get very upset about the answers, the deflection of some of the questions, some of the lies that I caught you in. And so there was some anger starting to build again. I think our sexual encounters at that point were the makeup sex kind of encounters. Yes. Where I wasn't sure if I was angry or desperate or just really in love with you. Right. And probably all three at the same time. There's an idea with this makeup sex that it's driven by intense emotions. You and I discovered along the way how similar the emotions of anger and sexual passion were very similar. Yes. Very hard to discern. Yes. Meaning that you were looking at me with so much anger and we were feeling this tension, these intense feelings, and yet you wanted to express that sexually. Yes. And so we had a couple of those intense encounters during that two-week period. But then when you confessed the entire story to me and our pastor, the sex stopped and it was for quite a while. It was. You no longer were in our bedroom. You were in the guest room. And there was no way that I wanted anything to do with you sexually at that point. I knew that I wanted to be sexual with you again someday. But there were definitely a lot of things I was going to need to see in you before that could ever happen. And of course, the whole journey through the grieving process was going to have to occur. And sexual intimacy is really not even a part of that process for most people. And it wasn't for me either in the beginning. I really just wanted to concentrate on taking care of my relationship with Jesus, sticking close to him, and giving you space to prove yourself to me. And that looked like me working out day by day, one day at a time through my recovery. One thing that did pop up during that time of recovery, this is while we were seeing our therapist and he was helping us work through it. I had made a decision that I was far enough along from my sexual acting out, discovery, disclosure. This is several months down the road that I found myself in a place that I was actually okay considering a long period of abstinence. And so I expressed this to our therapist and to you that I would be willing to go through a one-year period of abstinence in order to reset myself sexually and work recovery, get my mind straight, and work on focusing my thoughts and my activities around you again. And I was really willing to do that. So I expressed this to you and our therapist in the same room. And what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I remember saying, well, what if I want to be sexual before a year's time? That's right. And our therapist, our counselor, he agreed with me and said, it was really up to me. It wasn't really up to you. And 
What did you discover about that? I discovered that it was another form of extremist behavior that addicts display. And that even while I was trying to work it out, I still had some things in there that an old addict's mind was trying to express, go to extremes, try to please, try to, you know, make things really good. But what I was doing is I was setting boundaries. You were trying to relieve the pressure of having sexual relations Mm -hmm. while we were healing. But what it did was it caused a different kind of pressure. It was putting boundaries on me as the betrayed. That's right. Rather than me putting the boundaries on you as the betrayer. So ultimately, we just made the decision we were going to set that aside. We talked it out, seemed a little too extreme. We went ahead and set that aside. Not saying that choosing a year's worth of abstinence is not a good thing. We're saying that it can be a good thing in the right context. My mind was just not in the right place. It turned out to be more of a selfish thing. Mm -hmm. You were trying to be noble like you always had tried to be. This was your M.O., all through our marriage. Correct. You did things that seemed noble, um, but when you really dug down underneath them, you discovered that it was based out of selfishness and control. Right. You wanted to control a situation to make it comfortable for you. I always call them edicts. <laughs> yes. You would lay down these edicts without really consulting me on how I felt about it. And that was putting me in a box that wasn't really fair. It wasn't fair. So during that period of time, as we're starting to work out our sexuality, you and I, there were times when it was there and then we would back off, usually because there was some more information that was given that would, uh, that would trigger you and you would throw your wall up because it was very painful, new information that you didn't know before. Yes, and I just want to make it clear that it wasn't new acting out information. That's correct. It was just... New information to me, like you call it a leaky tire, that the truth was coming out in little bits here and there, and sometimes having to retract things that you had previously said because they weren't completely truthful. You had omitted some things or you had sugar-coated some things. I remember on one occasion, we were celebrating a holiday, and that was the first time that we had become intimate for many months. And it was a wonderful time, but then the next day... You again told me some things that were shocking and hurtful to me that you hadn't previously told me about. And I was feeling like I just allowed myself to give you my heart, give you my body, give you myself fully. Well, you knew that you were holding this information out on me. Yes. And that was like another betrayal all over again. It's like you knew that you would be telling me this but you wanted to have the sex before you had to tell me that because you knew it would upset me. And I don't know if that was actually going through your mind. It might not have been. It might not have been anything that you had remembered until the following day, but that's how it felt to me. It just felt like a betrayal all over again. So yes, I shut the door on the sexual intimacy for a while again. I knew at times that there was going to be some information that you weren't going to want to know. And I chose to hold on to that for the sake of being sexual. Why bring it up now? because it looks like we're going to be sexual tonight. And that's manipulation. That's lying. Lying by omission. That's choosing myself before choosing you. It's all of those things. Today, my pattern is to get everything out. That way, even if it looks like we're about to be sexual and I got something that's in there that needs to come out, I'm going to make the choice to tell you first and figure out what happens with the sexual experience after that. 
And the things that you have to tell me now are mostly things like dreams or triggers, things like that, because you're still clean. You're still not acting out in your addiction. That's correct. But there are things that do come up. Satan wants to, he wants to ruin what we have. He's out there seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And he doesn't like the fact that we have reconciled and decided to stay married and are thriving in our marriage. So he's going to try anything that he can to destroy that. So we have to be on our guard all the time. Just because we're doing so well right now doesn't mean that he's not going to try to trip us up. So being open and honest with anything that he is attacking us with, even if you're handling it fine, you know that if you don't tell me, it could fester and it can grow and it can turn into something that you don't want. That's right. The biggest challenge that I had in becoming sexual with you again were the triggers. There were many, many times that as we were engaging in a sexual experience, I would be triggered by visions of the women that you had taken to bed and I would be tormented by comparison, wondering if you had done with them what we were doing, but being afraid of the answer, should I ask? Sometimes I would just start sobbing. You fortunately always did the caring thing by stopping and holding me, asking into me, and focusing on my pain instead of your pleasure. Thank you so much for doing that, Johnny. You're welcome, my love. And as it turns out, those became some of the most healing experiences that we had because it was very vulnerable. It was uh, very highly emotional. And to just be able to stop, turn the focus away from the physical activity, address the emotion at hand, and just be present. Yes, it was a bonding time, that's for sure. I also had to allow myself to accept your comfort and not shut you out as protection of myself. But those triggers were very powerful and stuck around for a long time. But eventually I was able to work through them, and they finally disappeared altogether. So I have one more thought that I wanted to express about that. We learned to put it into a couple of categories. Our sexual relationship, as we were recovering and where we are now, is at first we were relating sexually through very intense emotions. When we would have very hard talks, and they were very intense. We found that in a way that they were very sexually stimulating. And there was a desire to draw close and be near and to hold. And sometimes those would turn into sexual moments. We learned within the last couple of years that there was going to come a time that we weren't going to be consumed with these intense emotions. We could see that we were actually working through our issues and that recovery was doing its job and a more normal life was starting to return to us. We were going to have to learn to relate sexually out of a normal sense of emotional stability rather than out of emotional intensity, meaning what happens when life gets normal and boring again? <laughs> well, I don't know if life is ever boring with us, but it is more predictable, yes. I guess you could say, and busier. During our most intense recovery period over the first couple of years, we didn't take on a lot of extracurricular things. We tried to focus on each other and be present with each other as much as possible. So now that we are engaging with the world again and work, family and activities and all kinds of things in a more normal lifestyle pattern, 
Yes, sometimes it looks like having to schedule our sexual intimacy. Did you just say schedule sexual intimacy? You did. Yeah, I know. It seems like such a foreign concept, and how could that even be possible? And I think that I would like to explore that in another episode because there's so much to it, but it actually became necessary for us as our life became more normal. Yes, we do still love the spontaneity, but there is definitely seemingly not as much time and focus on that area of our life as there was during our recovery. Right. So to reiterate that question that you asked at the beginning of this episode, Johnny, can there be a sexual relationship again in marriage after sexual betrayal? And as you said, the short answer is yes, but it comes through intimacy. Intimacy comes as a result of hard work and the continual practice of seven steps that we determined were really key in our recovery. That's right. We have expounded on these seven in prior episodes, but we want to give them to you in a bullet point list today to give you a path to intimacy that might be helpful to you. So step one is confession. And when we say confession, we're not saying just get it out one time. We're saying that this is an ongoing process where you are ferreting out every secret that you have. Because as long as you have secrets, intimacy is going to continue to be elusive. That's right. And that's for both parties. Absolutely. Yeah. Not just the betrayer. Yep. Everybody tends to hold things inside that they don't want others to know about them, maybe because they want to protect somebody else. But usually if you uncover it, it's about protecting ourselves. That's correct. If you've ever made the statement, I will take this to the grave, then you understand that you have secrets and they need to come out if you have any hope of achieving true intimacy. Yes. Okay, moving on to step two, boundaries. Boundaries are what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Yeah, it's simple. It's like, here's a line, don't cross it. And it is super important to have those boundaries in the beginning of your journey of healing and reconciliation exclusively from the betrayed to the betrayer. Right. I dare say that if a betrayer tries to put a boundary on his spouse, that's not going to go well. It's probably not, especially early on. Especially early on. So yes, laying out some expectations that will help keep the betrayed feeling safe. And I do remember one time during that process, I guess it was, uh, well, it was early on because it was the same month that you had confessed to me. Okay. And it was nearing Christmas time. And because you had taken advantage of the fact that I was willing to be sexual with you, yet you had the secret that you hadn't told me and you didn't tell me until later, that caused me to put, like you said, that wall up again. And I was like, okay, I don't even want you to touch me. Do not hold my hand. Do not rub my back. Do not touch me at all. (laughs) No kissing. No, even kiss me on the forehead. You know, I didn't want you to touch me at all. You know, that was a pretty extreme boundary, but it was born out of a very painful incident. Yes. And so it was temporary. But I do remember that you did break that boundary by being comforting to me. We were having a talk and I was upset and crying and and you just, without thinking, rubbed my back lightly. And that's just like, what are you doing? It did. It triggered you immediately. It did because you crossed that boundary. Even though you were trying to comfort me, I had said no touching. And the fact that I was trying to be comforting to you was completely irrelevant based on the fact that I violated a boundary. Yes. 
And so that told me that you didn't respect my boundaries as much as you wanted to just do what you wanted to do. Well, and ergo, without respecting your boundaries, I was not respecting you. Yes, exactly. Placing myself first. Yes. It would seem that it was the right thing to do to reach out to comfort you. But when I violated that boundary that we both agreed to and I knew about, I put myself first. Yeah. So um, so boundaries are a tricky business, but they're important. They are. Some of those boundaries looked like uh, covenant eyes on my phone. Right. It looked like checking in with you everywhere I went. Yes, texting me your whereabouts. Again, the important thing about these boundaries is that these have to be established on mutual agreement if it's going to work. Now, the betrayed is going to be the one saying, this is a boundary and it's non-negotiable to me. This is where the betrayer agrees. Yes. And that's mutual agreement. Yes. I know that there were some boundaries that you recoiled at internally. I did. But you you didn't fight me on them because you knew it was the right thing. Right. And so you had to humble yourself and accept the consequence of your actions by keeping those boundaries. And in time, I discovered the value in it. Okay. And the next step, step three, is empathy. Yes. Feeling the other person's pain. That was something that took you a while to be able to do. You still didn't have the capacity to see my pain because you were going through your own pain. You were facing consequences of your actions. You right. were trying to figure out who you were and why this had all happened. And you had your own things going on inside, but it wasn't helpful that you couldn't see me in my pain. That's right. It made things a lot worse. I was so wrapped up in the fact that I was in trouble. And how do I get out of it? We talked about that before about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, I'm in trouble and I'll do what it takes to get out. And so being early on, as we're establishing the boundaries and working toward empathy now, which I was not expressing, I was still so wrapped up in myself that I couldn't get there. And I can't even remember what the specific instance was, but there came a time about four months in where all of a sudden I could see you. I could see your pain. And the weight of it slammed down on me like a heavy door. Yeah, I think I remember it was when we walked into the Home Depot one day and you had this moment and you really, you started to tear up. I remember from there, we went home and we just laid on the couch together, just broken and hurt. Yeah. I think we probably tried to watch movies. It was a rainy day. But from there, the fact that I could see you and see your pain and be able to express it back to you started to connect with you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Being able to verbalize what you had done and how it affected me was huge. And to be able to use words to express how sorry you were for the pain that you caused me, I mean, right there, I think gave me a real boost into healing to know that the one who hurt you really felt deeply how they hurt you. You know, it's one thing to hurt someone and say that you're sorry that you hurt them because you're sorry that they feel that way. But then to actually put yourself in their place and to know that that pain is real, that's something totally different. Yes. And you just mentioned taking those feelings and putting them into words. And that leads us into our fourth step, which is healing apologies. 
the healing apologies are exactly how we take those feelings of empathy and we put words to them. This is where we get to express our godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings about repentance, and repentance is that 180-degree change. And when we express that through the healing apology, it says, this is what I did wrong. I know that this was wrong, and here is why. This must have hurt you in this way. Am I correct? I'm so sorry that I did this to you. I will never do this again. Will you please forgive me? Now, I just ran through the basic bones of what a healing apology looks like. It takes you through a process where you have to verbalize all the feelings of empathy that the betrayed is looking for, that you, Emily, were looking for. You were wanting so much for me to see you. Yes, I wanted you to see me, my pain, what you had done, how it affected me. And once you started doing that, oh, it was such a relief. I think that's where I really started to think about the fact that I might be able to trust what you're telling me the very first time. I remember you saying in amazement, you see me. Yeah, I think about that movie Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) When we use those words, I see you. Yes. But we don't have those tails and we don't connect them that way. Right. (laughs) But it went through my mind that it's that kind of connection that intimacy is born through that connection. You see me, we look in each other's eyes and we see the other person. We're not thinking about ourselves. We're seeking the good of the other and we're wanting to know the other person inside and out and accepting that person. Yes. All the warts, all the weaknesses, seeing the good, praising it for what it is and not feeling lesser because there's something good in the other person. All of that. That's what seeing you means. Right. And when that is occurring, then the sexual experience is an expression of seeing and being seen. And you told me on many occasions that when we're not connected that way, when we can't look into each other's eyes and feel that connection, yes, everything feels off. That's correct. Just everything about life feels off. As a matter of fact, it got quite easy to see when your wall went up because I could look at you, but I couldn't see you. Mm-hmm. And it was very obvious that your eyes were empty. Mm-hmm. It's not a physical thing. It's a perception. And a thought that I was just having is that in this moment, as we're expressing empathy and we're verbalizing it through a healing apology, we're tempted to believe that this is where intimacy is beginning. But intimacy started with the confession, continued with the boundaries, and then it moved into the empathy and now is working its way outward through your words, through the healing apology. And that moves us into step five, which is forgiveness. Emily, tell us a little bit more about that. Forgiveness, yes. It's basically just releasing resentment. You know, I did forgive you pretty quickly after the first confession, but then when the other shoe dropped, there was a whole lot of stuff to have to forgive again, and I wasn't so quick to do at that time. I know I wanted to. I knew I needed to, but it took me a while to walk that out. Making that decision to forgive you was more difficult than it was the first time, even though I knew that was what God wanted me to do. But yes, forgiveness, wow. As long as you're holding on to unforgiveness, the only person that really hurts is you, the one that's not forgiving. Correct. 
And we've talked about this previously too. It's not condoning actions. It's not sugarcoating it. It's not ignoring it. Sexual betrayal is a traumatic and devastating transgression, but it is a forgivable sin. Yes, it is. And what that does when you forgive that sin is it releases you from bitterness, from that feeling of unmanageability and not having control because you're releasing all of that to God. I really just handed you over to God when I was able to finally forgive you and say, here, he's yours. You fix him. (laughs) Right. That's not my job. I just need to release it. Forgiveness is making the choice to release your responsibility for the other person's behavior. You don't have to carry that burden. Yes. So forgiveness is crucial for the one who's forgiving, especially. But that forgiveness needs to be followed up by the next step that we're going to talk about. Step six, rigorous honesty. So forgiveness has occurred, but you don't want to have to keep being forgiven for something that you're constantly doing. That's where that repentance comes in. You just turn around and go the other way. You stop doing what you were doing. And then you don't have to ask for forgiveness or be forgiven for the same things over and over again. And this is an ongoing demonstration that you're making these changes. So step six is rigorous honesty, the consistent and continuing practice of truthfulness. How it differs from confession is when you first get everything out so that you can get the ball rolling. Rigorous honesty is you continuing an action of being truthful at all times. If you have anything in you that doesn't feel right or consistent with the way that you are continuing to recover or move forward, your spouse needs to know that. Yes. They need to know everything that's going on inside of you. Rigorous honesty also looks like you being truthful with yourself. Yes, I did that, but that's not me anymore. Or the betrayed saying, yes, I feel this way, even though I don't want it to be there. I do feel this way and acknowledging its existence. That's part of rigorous honesty. Rigorous means that you are in an active pursuit of trying to make sure that you are always being truthful. Yes. And truthfulness leads to trust. It does. Emily, you've told me that because of my addiction, We've talked on this on many occasions. Because of my addiction, you can never fully trust me again. But you have two great thoughts in there that you have expressed to me. Number one is, you can't trust me, but you can trust Jesus in me. Yes. And that comes from a demonstrated walk that's outward that you can see. Yes. And is consistent. And that the other one is, you may not be able to trust me, but you can see me as trustworthy day by day. I can see that track record getting longer and longer with each passing day that you are being rigorously honest with me. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. It does mean that you stop and confess, repent, and ask forgiveness. Right. But that sometimes puts you into a little bit of a difficult position because you find yourself trusting me. Right. And so what happens in those times? Well, I trust easily. I'm just a trustful person. And sometimes that can be called naive as well. But I just want to trust people. I don't want to be suspicious. I don't want to be looking out for the devil under every rock. And so, yes, I do find myself maybe trusting you more than I should. Or, I mean, it's not really a should. It's just I find myself just trusting you. And there's been a few times where I've been knocked off of that trust pedestal with some things that you've brought to me that weren't grossly offensive, 
but they were just something that you needed to confess. It made me realize, wait a minute. Oh yeah, I used to trust you implicitly before this all happened. And now I have to trust, but verify. Right. That's not a real fair position to be put into, but I think it's a growth process for me too. Right. We have talked about these first six steps, which leads us to step seven. And you need all of those parts of the first six steps in order to make step seven work. Step seven is you can return to a sexual relationship under mutual agreement and without guilt or coercion. So we're going to unwrap a little bit of that today because like we've said, these steps that we just outlined are covered in some of the other episodes that we've done previously. Yes, and you can find those in the show notes. We'll go ahead and list those. And if you do want to request the Healing Apology Worksheet, just email us, support at beyondbrokenbounds.com. Yes. So here we are at step seven, returning to sexuality under mutual agreement without guilt or coercion. That is so important. Let's go with guilt first. What kind of guilty feelings can possibly be attached with trying to be sexual again? Well, I can imagine that if the betrayed is a woman, she might feel that she has to provide sex for her husband, especially a Christian woman. She might feel guilty for withholding sex from him because of her religious upbringing or interpretation of scripture, uh, things of that nature. There might be a lot of guilt for not engaging sexually with her husband. Or she could also feel guilty for having sex with her husband and feeling that she's betraying herself, offering herself fully to someone who has destroyed her life, basically. Yes. And that betrayal of herself can cause a lot of guilty feelings. But there's also coercion. What does that look like? Coercion, especially in a Christian marriage, can look a whole lot like the betrayer goes to scripture and sees verses like don't withhold sex except for periods of prayer and fasting, or the wife should submit to the husband, but then neglects to see that the husband is also supposed to submit to his wife as well. And part of that submission is understanding where she's at, and she may not be ready to be sexual. That's part of that submission. But it also says in scripture that the man doesn't have authority over his own body, and the woman doesn't have authority over her own body, but the two must submit that to one another. It's a mutual thing. Again, this is what we're talking about with the mutual agreement, and there can't be any coercion. So men, if you're using Bible scriptures in order to coerce your wife into having sex through guilt, through religious guilt, you're on the wrong path. Yes. I'm not going to go into what you're doing to scripture, but what I'm saying is that you're destroying your wife a little at a time by doing that. And you're not going to bring her back to a place where she's going to feel comfortable being sexual and intimacy will not be there. Yes, exactly. Okay. So those were the seven steps. Let's go ahead and recap them real quickly. All right. Step one, confession. Those are no secrets at all. Step two, boundaries. That's what is acceptable and not acceptable. Step three, empathy. That's feeling the other person's pain. Healing apologies is step four. Yes, that is expressing godly sorrow and understanding what you did wrong. Step number five is forgiveness. That is releasing your resentments. And step six, rigorous honesty. The consistent and continuing practice of truthfulness. We found this verse to encapsulate all six of those. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. 
this means each of you, in order to be able to move forward into sexual intimacy, have to be completely laying your life down for the other. That means understanding each other's wants, needs, and desires, and being willing to act on those appropriately with that knowledge. And if those six steps are practiced in your marriage, you will find that connection that leads to intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and sexual intimacy. And you'll be able to achieve step seven, which is mutual agreement without guilt or coercion. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Being sexual is just another God-given expression of love and devotion for your spouse. That's right. It was created to be exclusive in marriage, and it is a gift. We want to encourage everybody listening who may not be in that place right now where you're being sexually intimate with your spouse. That's okay. It is a process. It will take time. But it is a great goal, and it can be achieved through mutual surrender and agreement. Yes. There is another thought that I wanted to share. The lie that we as men, especially those of us who are addicts, that we say that we need sex more than the average man. And that is a complete lie. When we believe that lie, we may go to other places to try to fulfill that if we find that we're not actively getting what we desire within our marriage, but we don't actually need it more. The point in saying all this is that by working through all of those six steps and moving into a place of mutual agreement without guilt or coercion, I have found a greater level of intimacy with you, Emily, through the connection that we have through working through these six steps. And that intimacy is actually greater than the sexual experience itself. Right. You know, it's not an easy journey, but it is definitely one that's worth taking. With God in the center and with his miracles and his unfailing love, he can give anyone who's willing a beautiful sexual relationship with their spouse, even after sexual betrayal. Remember, it's not necessarily about restoring. It's about making it new. Amen. Yes. So, Johnny, would you just go ahead and pray? Yes, absolutely. Father, thank you so much for moving us through these steps and helping us to gain a greater understanding of how to become sexual again after we've been hurt so much through sexual betrayal. We thank you, Lord, that you are merciful to us and that your grace covers a multitude of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for the capacity to forgive one another that helps us release the hurt that we feel so that we can move forward. We pray, Father, for those who are listening today, that as they hear these words, that something we said let them know that they're not alone and that there is hope for moving forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all your great gifts to us. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. We just want to encourage you before we go that you would take the time to examine your heart and really try to determine why you do or do not want to resume sex in your marriage. These feelings can be very difficult, but if you can be honest with yourself and with your spouse, I think that we have outlined a path that can help you rekindle a very important part of a God-centered marriage. And as you move forward through the process, remember it's going to take time. You're going to have some really good experiences and some really difficult experiences. The point is to continue to move forward and don't let those experiences drag you and hold you into that moment. Always be ready to move forward. And as always, we suggest stick close to Jesus. Yes, that's the key to everything, isn't it? Yes, it really is. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you want to drop us some comments or ask us some questions about your return to sexuality, you can contact me, Johnny, at beyondbrokenvows.com or Emily at beyondbrokenvows.com. So until next time, marriage is redeemed, hearts renewed on Beyond Broken Vows podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And before you go, if this podcast encouraged you and you're feeling some hope for today, please share this show with someone else you know who is going through a similar situation and needs to know that they're not alone. One of the best ways that you can help us reach more people is to leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And as always, we would love to hear from you with questions and comments. Just email us at support at beyondbrokenvows.com. As you walk out this journey one day at a time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.